0: This week in KMA Land: and Council Debates Police residency Amendment, Council Members Split on Police Officer pay hike. Fire Damages Glenwood Auto Repair Business, Grand Opening for Griswold Child Care Center, Weather Service Trains Eyes on the Ground, and Clementa City Council Tackles 12th Street No Parking Issue. I'm Mike Peterson. Police-related issues made for contentious debate at Tuesday night's Shenandoah City Council meeting. By a 3-2 to two vote, the council set a public hearing for its February 27th meeting on an amendment to the city's police residency ordinance. City Administrator A.J. Lyman says the amendment would allow the city to hire a part-time certified officer currently living out of state. That
1: officer happens to live in the city of
2: Omaha, across the river, outside of the state. So the state law enforcement academy would require the city to have an ordinance in place that would allow us to hire out-of-state
0: employees. Mineman says the officer who previously worked for Council Bluffs Police would backfill shifts as needed. Police Chief Josh Gray says the amendment wouldn't affect requirements for full-time officers who must live within 20 minutes of city limits. Council members Kim Swank and Tony Graham voted against setting the hearing. Swank says the amendment would set a precedent for hiring other officers. I think if an officer
1: is going to work here, then he ought to be in the public and I think that's a big job for the police is to get to know everybody in town, do a little shopping here. We live in Omaha. He's not going to do any
0: shopping. Here. Graham expressed similar sentiments, saying individuals living in Iowa should work in Iowa in order to support local businesses. Councilman John Eric Bradner voted in favor of the hearing, saying the city must consider the amendment. Do we want coverage? Do we want police officers, or do we? I'm not trying to say that we have to take what we can get, but. To a point, I mean the guy's got experience, he's got law enforcement, we don't have to send him to the academy. Council members Rita Gibson and Richard Jones also voted in favor. Jones, however, says the amendment should specify covering part-time officers only. I don't know that we should be
1: running the police department, whatever. So they gotta do their admin. I mean they have to do what's best for them to run their department. My only thing is I'd feel more comfortable if this just said part time Because Gray's gone, you know, 10 years down the road, somebody's reading this going, oh, I can hire somebody read whatever full time.
0: Provided the Iowa Law Enforcement Academy approves it, Lyman says the amendment can be adjusted to specify part time officers following the public hearing. By that same three to two vote, the council approved an amendment to the city's agreement with the International Brotherhood of Teamsters Local Union 238, granting police officers a $4 an hour pay increase beginning Friday and all other employees a $1.50 per hour hike beginning July 1st. Lyman says the union requested the amendment in the current contract, which was ratified in January 2022, because of the pay disparity for police officers between Shenandoah and other area communities, including residents. Oak and atlantic that's where the
2: discussion started okay and then within that the union argued that the 62 cents that they passed for three years ago isn't going as far as it was three years ago and so this is this was the agreement they were willing to enter into to provide additional pay for the police officers.
0: Swank and Graham once again voted against the amendment. Swank argued the raises shouldn't be granted during a non-negotiating year. They've already signed an agreement saying they would work for that money till next year. I mean, they settled with this. They could have said no right then. I I just don't understand why we're renegotiating when it's not a negotiating Graham, meanwhile, questioned whether the officers' raises were fair to other city employees, most notably the street department workers. Councilman Richard Jones voted in favor of the pay hike. It may not be
1: time, and I understand that, and that's a very good argument. I also understand we want to have to save the city we can, and we want to employ the best officer's we want to
0: be competitive. Council members John Eric Brantner and Rita Gibson also voted in favor. Shenandoah Mayor Roger McQueen voiced his support for the amendment, saying the city needs to retain its officers. We
2: have to have this. We have to be competitive. We can't keep using officers to every other town around here. Uh, we have to have a full force. We can't be doing this on-call. Uh, I believe the officers we've had now have done an excellent job of what we've you know, been short
1: here and there. Unfortunately, you know, I guess in the union negotiation This is what it's come to. Uh, I personally think we have some uh, hellishly good employees.
0: Council members also voted 3-2 to to ratify rates and salaries for full-time and city employees, specifically certified and non-certified police officers. Effective Friday, Swank and Graham once again voted no. Also at this week's council meeting, Councilman Kim Swank announced the Kay Anderson Foundation is covering the cost of installing lighting at Sportsman's Park's tennis courts. Swank, who serves as the council's park and rec board liaison, says the lighting project is in addition to the Shenandoah School District's planned storage structure at that location. I think we have some of the nicest tennis courts. The only
1: thing we're missing are lights, and I I think this is a good thing and, and
0: appreciate everything that they do. The people who like that in the community you got to take your hats off. In addition, Swank as members, of the Tan and Bob T recently donated funds to cover fees for children ages 10 and under taking swimming lessons this summer at the Wilson Aquatic Center. Park and Red Gord members also recently elected new members. Zach Zwickel was named president, Sherry Anderson vice president, and Cheryl Mulligan secretary. Fire swept through a Glenwood business early Thursday morning. Firefighters from six KMA land departments battled the fire at Best Finish Auto Sales and Service at 209 East Sharp Street. At Glenwood fire chief Matt Gray tells KMA News his department was dispatched to the scene shortly after 3 a.m. On oh, arrival,
1: there was smoke the smoke and flame coming from the uh, automotive repair area we had crews that arrived on scene and we called for other departments to come in council laws red oak silver city oak township and Malvern to come in and assist we made entry and there was a lot of heavy fire and smoke throughout the facility.
0: Grace's firefighters' interior attacks coupled with the use of aerial trucks brought the fire into control shortly before five AM.
1: The office area was on the west end of the structure. It sustained heavy smoke and a little water damage. The brunt of the damage is on the uh, automotive repair shop side.
0: Numerous vehicles and equipment inside the auto repair shop were also damaged. The chief says building materials made the fire tough to fight. We had to
1: deal with some obstacles with the roof and it had several layers underneath the roof with a rubber coating. And then uh, inside the ceiling of the uh, facility had uh, tin siding on the ceiling. So we had to rip all that ceiling down inside the building to get to where it got up into the rafters.
0: The cause of the fire was undetermined as of Thursday afternoon. Though the exact opening is a few months away, Griswold residents last weekend celebrated the long-awaited completion of its new child care center. Grand opening ceremonies were held last Saturday for the Charles E. Lakin Child Development Center. State fire marshal regulations forced the event's relocation to the Griswold Central Church of Christ. Steve Beyer is a board member with the Noble Initiative Foundation, the organization spearheading the center's fundraising efforts. Beyer says the drive to construct the center dates back to 20. 18, when the Noble Center Church closed due to dwindling membership. Though existing structures were originally considered as the center's location, Byrus' supporters eventually decided to build a new structure. Business
1: leaders in the grizzled area expressed interest in participating, some even offering possible downtown facilities to renovate. After having inspections and opinions from fire marshals and architects, it was evident that a 140-year-old structure on Main Street would cost in the neighborhood of $200 per square foot to renovate. It was then that we had a stakeholders meeting and the vision grew
0: more than three million dollars was raised for the project including a five hundred thousand dollar grant from the charles e lakin foundation debbie johnson is lakin's daughter and shares the lincoln foundation's board of directors johnson says community support complemented the organization's grant in
3: our explorations of these counties in southwest iowa i have found that it's the community and it's the enthusiasm and passion of everyone in the community that makes this happen We happen to be able to contribute dollars, but no way could it be done without the community and the passion of everyone involved.
0: Center Director Chelsea Dvorak says the more than 8,800 square foot facility offers a secure, modern venue for childcare and education. So
4: when you first walk in to our center, um, there will be an area where you can ring the bell and it is monitored and then we will let you in. There is a desk where the assistant will sit to greet you. And then as you walk in, we have an infant room. We have a room for ages one to two three to four, and then a school-age room as well. We also have a gym attached for the after-school kids so that they can run and play.
0: When officially opened, Vorax says the center addresses what one supporter called a child care desert in Griswold and Cass County. A lot of
4: people in Cass County are having to drive to other counties, other towns that may not be in the same direction as where they're going for work. This will allow parents to have child care where they live so they can drop their children off here and then head to work. It's going to save them time. It's going to save them money. Um, It's also going to bring peace of mind. Dvorak
0: says the demand for child care is demonstrated through the center's registration.
4: Sign up has been open for about three weeks now and most of our rooms are full. So I would encourage families, um, if you want to get on the list, to start now. Don't wait until we open. Get on the list so we can ensure your child has a spot.
0: Though construction is finished, inspections, state licensing, and the hiring of 25 staff members must be completed before the center officially opens later this spring. Even with today's technology, human eyes are needed to warn the public of approaching severe weather. Individuals taking on that responsibility assembled in Shenandoah Monday night for the National Weather Service's Storm Spotter training class. Weather Service meteorologist Becky Kern offered a primer on severe weather categories and how to report tornadoes, severe storms, and other information. Kern tells KMA News the weather service trains spotters throughout the region, covered through its Valley, Nebraska office. We cover
3: 38 counties in eastern Nebraska and southwest Iowa. And it's important for spotters... For the National Weather Service to be our eyes to see what is exactly happening on the ground, because we only have so many tools that we can use to see, you know, what what is exactly going on at the ground. So we need those reports, and we depend on the storm spotters for that.
0: Kern says having eyes on the ground is important because the Weather Service's radar can't detect everything. We have
3: our tools, and all those tools have limitations. Our radar can only see into Southwest Iowa. The lowest we can see is about five thousand feet. In addition you know satellite information is only good from outer space that we were looking at the tops of the clouds so we really depend on the spotters eyes to tell us what is really going on at the ground and what that helps us to do too is to see how to Advance the warning if do we need to keep the warning going for the next county or city, Um, or can we let it be expired or cancel it early for those folks? In
0: addition to explaining the differences between weather watches and warnings, shelf clouds and wall clouds, funnel clouds, and tornadoes, Kern also stressed the importance of storm spotting safety. If
3: you're gonna, you know, pull over, try to do it in an intersection where you have four routes that you can, you know, possibly go different directions if the storm should move. Driving through flooded roadways is a bad idea that's how we get a lot of our uh, weather related deaths is by flooding so you don't know what the roadbed is underneath all that water so we please don't drive through water also bridges could be washed out as well and we don't need anyone you know getting in trouble that way but yeah and, and then just you know staying safe out of the path of the storm at a safe distance is first
0: and foremost. And Kern says it's important for the Weather Service to educate as many people as possible on storm spotting techniques. Efforts to make Page County's emergency services essential services continued this week. At its regular meeting Thursday night, the Page County Board of Supervisors unanimously approved a resolution declaring EMS an essential service in the county. Representatives of KMA Land Communities, Hospitals and Ambulance Services recently formed the Page County EMS Advisory Council. Ty Davison is Shenandoah EMS Director and Chair of the Council. Davison says Thursday's action is the first of three steps for approving the Council's charter. Our intention
2: is to be here uh, for the next tonight and then the next two weeks uh, to just continue the process and then in two weeks from tonight uh, will be the final vote for, for you folks and after that it it would be final to go on the ballot for November.
0: If approved by a 60% plus one supermajority, the designation would create a levy of 75 cents per thousand dollars valuation to support the county's EMS agencies. Plans call for placing that vote on the November ballot. In the early talks of the Advisory Council, Davison says their number one goal is to strengthen the smaller agencies throughout the county. Obviously,
2: Clarendon and Shenandoah are still the two major responding services in in the county, but we... Our goal is to strengthen those smaller communities so that we can get some response from skilled, qualified, certified members to the location to take care of our patients until the two larger services, uh, whoever that might be, can get get to the patient.
0: He adds one proposal in distributing $10,000 from revenues collected to each smaller agency annually. Another idea is to draw more individuals into the field. Davidson says that would be using some of the funds to assist in paying for the necessary education. EMT
2: classes cost about fourteen to fifteen hundred dollars, and takes a four month class dedication. An advanced EMT class is about sixteen hundred to two thousand dollars, and that's also a four month dedication. Paramedic class can range anywhere from fourteen to eighteen twenty thousand dollars a year. For, uh, for the class, and that's a one at minimum of a one-year full-time dedication.
0: Davidson says funds could also be used to ensure the smaller agencies have paid personnel to respond to calls. Plans to implement no parking on a portion of 12th Street in Clarenda crossed a major hurdle Wednesday night. At its regular meeting, the Clarenda City Council unanimously approved the first reading of an ordinance amendment restricting parking on both sides of 12th Street from Washington Street north to the city limits. On top of the new addition, Clemenda City Manager Gary McLarnon says the no parking designation requires a minor tweak to the current ordinances on an overlapping segment of 12th Street. The original one said 12th Street on the west side between Garfield Street and Nishna Street. So, so I had to change, and I, I changed number 16 to include Washington, no parking on both sides, Washington Street to North City limits. And then I added number 72, to include the no parking between
1: Washington and Garfield Street and it's no parking on the west side.
0: Regarding feedback Mayor Craig Hill says one person shared some concerns saying he'd also been told he would receive a letter regarding the proposal. At this point I have not received either I have not received a letter uh, but I have had some people comment that are concerned about this uh, but I, I still feel that this is the best avenue that we had and I explained that to the individual that I was talking to we agreed to disagree, but and uh, even though this person doesn't live directly on 12th Street, she is in the neighborhood. At a previous meeting, Ashwell said the discussion arose due to high traffic with large farm equipment and semis paired with vehicles currently allowed to park on the stretch of road. It is
3: the only
2: farm to market, you know, to the north. But then you also have you know H and H Trailer Company out of prison that's pulling trailers through that aren't just 10 footers. You know, they're trying to get through around cars. You've got the state trying to go out, trying to blade snow and or, you know, get equipment out to the north end of town. Uh, you know, Schmidt is also another company that's up there that use uh, state and 12 quite a bit to exit out of town. So, I mean, I think it's, it's a very high travel road.
0: Council plans to hold separate second and third readings of the ordinance at its next two meetings to allow for further public input. Vacancies were filled on two KMA land boards this week. At its regular meeting Tuesday evening, the Glenwood City Council approved the appointment of Michael Lines to fill the at-large council seat vacated by Holly Jackson. Jackson resigned from the position to pursue a career opportunity with the Southwest Iowa Planning Council in January. City Administrator Amber Farnan outlined the next steps the council took in filling the opening. The
4: council then had the option to either appoint somebody or take it to special election. Um, They chose to appoint somebody. They uh, did some interviews. Last week, and then at the meeting last night,
0: they uh, chose Michael. Lucas was one of four people who applied for the vacancy and were interviewed by the council. Other applicants interviewed in open session were Laura Cool and Jonathan Schoening, while the fourth unnamed person was interviewed in closed session. Also this week, a familiar face rejoined the Red Oak School Board. By a four to nothing vote Tuesday evening, the board appointed Bryce Johnson to fill the vacancy left by the passing of Roger Carlson last month. Johnson was one of two interested individuals interviewed by the board Tuesday, along with Ricky Rorick. A third individual, Ashley York, withdrew her letter of interest prior to the interviews. In addition to having four children in the district, Johnson previously served on the board. He noted his experience dealing with school finances as one reason for throwing his hat into the ring for the appointment. I have, uh, I guess,
2: extensive experience in the financial side of uh, of the school district on I'm just understanding the differences of, uh, of school finance and, uh, and how that
0: works. Johnson previously served eight years on the board and opted not to run for re-election this past November. Johnson will serve the remainder of Carlson's term, which runs through 2025. Like other of Mainland superintendents, Shenandoah School Superintendent Dr. Carrie Nelson is among those monitoring some educated related developments at the Statehouse. One measure on the radar screens of most KMA land administrators is the contentious AA bill. Spearheaded by Governor Kim Reynolds, the proposal makes sweeping changes in the state's area education agencies with emphasis on improving special education services. Dueling revisions were under consideration in the Iowa House and Senate. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Tuesday morning, Nelson says she finds some parts of the bill attractive
2: can't disagree with the the need for a strong focus on special education across the state and providing more support and resources specifically for special education. As that relates to the AEA, I think that's a important. How we get there might be something that needs to be discussed further and looked at further. While
0: declining specifics, Nelson says other portions of the bill are questionable. I
2: think it's a bill that is moved quickly and it's a bill that might have some components that People are willing to talk about that more time is needed to make sure in the end it's something we really want as a state. Another
0: education-related bill would allow certain school staff members to carry weapons. House Study Bill 675 was among those facing the 2024 General Assembly's first funnel deadline yesterday. Speaking on KMA's Morning Line program Monday morning, State Representative David Seek says the bill includes provisions improving school communications and mandating school districts to undergo a safety review spearheaded by Governor Kim Reynolds as part of last year's school safety initiative. We had a
1: study built into a bill a year or two ago and the schools were supposed to do it then you know how to become safer, how to lock their schools down, and it wasn't mandatory, and some schools didn't do it. And then so that's something that they are going to in this bill make mandatory, which I think is important because we need every school to be understanding, you know, what's going on, how, what are the resources they need, because if they want resources we need to know what they need.
0: Another provision allows employees of school districts, private schools, or colleges to obtain a professional permit to carry weapons. However, the Glenwood Republicans says rigorous training and yearly updates are among the requirements school staffers must meet in order to carry guns in school. Safety
1: checks, background checks, they have to go through this training to be able to shoot, to understand the gun, to I mean, it's it's just a long list that it looks to me like it's a pretty complete list of things. And then there's a yearly update. I think they also, you know, have to do screenings for, you know, all sorts of
0: health issues. The bill would also require any school district with at least 8,000 students to employ at least one private school security officer or school resource officer in any high school building. Seeks as liability insurance issues were among the measure's potential roadblocks.
1: Some schools have already wanted to put armed teachers in there and and that has not been allowed because of the liability and other issues with parents and things like that, which I think everybody needs to have that conversation and decide if it's right for their school.
0: Officials of the Iowa Firearms Association are among the bill's supporters. Members of the Iowa State Education Association opposed the bill, saying introducing more guns into schools is not the solution to safety problems. KMA land librarians are among those raising concerns over legislation changing how public libraries are operated. Bills introduced in the Iowa House and Senate would impact the role of local library boards. House Study Bill 678 would allow city councils to adopt ordinances applicable to state statutes applied to libraries. Under Senate Study Bill 3168, city councils would assume control over hiring practices for a library director. Andrew Hopman is director of Clarenda's lead public library. Hopman told KMA News the measures essentially shift control of libraries from a board of trustees to council members. What
2: those changes up in Des Moines are proposing, these bills, would kind of remove the power and authority of the library boards, kind of rendering them potentially, you know, useless. And what we'd like to see is for uh, the library boards to kind of maintain the role that they've always had in their communities. This change to me really isn't needed and and runs the risk of potentially politicizing the library
0: board. Shenandoah Public Library Director Carrie Falk expresses similar concerns. Currently Falk says a 12-member board, one of the state's largest, oversees her facilities operations. They're a
3: governing board so they provide governance of the library and one of the reasons that library boards were created and they have that kind of power over libraries is to keep the library separate from any political dealings within the community so that the library doesn't become a pawn of somebody's particular politics.
0: Calling the legislation solutions without a problem, Hopman hosts other librarians and residents express their concerns to lawmakers. That wraps up this week in KMA Land. Be listening each week at this time for This Week in KMA Land. And for more information all the time, log on to KMALand.com, where you can also hear this program in its entirety. For the entire KMA News team, this is Mike Peterson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great weekend. This Week in KMA Land is a presentation of KMA News.